Hello and welcome to the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and guys, I have a most amazing guest for you today. He has been a part of some amazing recordings, some of the top selling songs in history, and we're going to dig into all of that. Uh, it's so wonderful to get to talk to people who can shed light on some of the things that have happened in our music world and how they came together and to have been a part of it, let alone have just been there to witness it, is unbelievable. These are really treasured moments for me. And I'm so grateful to Reggie that he was able to take some time out of of his uh, frantic writing world to speak with me. And I do have to make a correction, though. In the interview, I did make reference to a White Snake song called Still of the Night. I actually believe the song I was referring to was Is This Love? That one was one that I believe David Coverdale was writing for Tina Turner and decided to keep it. I can't remember for sure which one it was now, but it was one of those two songs. So I just wanted to be clear on that. And now, without further ado, here is my amazing interview with Reggie Vinson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome a fantastic guest that I have for you this week on the show, Reggie Vincent. Reggie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing fine. How is it in Texas these days with uh, COVID and everything? Well, it's it's crazy like every place else, but uh, I got my shots and I'm doing fine. Oh, good. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. Have things started to open up there? Yeah, we are. We've got some uh, shows coming up and... Uh, Things are good out here in Texas. I'm glad to hear that. Are, I'm curious, are there any uh, restrictions or uh, crowd number limitations or anything right now? No, it's wide open. Good. It's wide open. There's a couple of things happening in the forest, you know, downtown. And uh, the fireworks went off last night in one of our t- little town here. And so it's good. Nice. It's all good. You've got to be just anxious to get back on stage, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so born and raised on stage. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been your whole life, hasn't it? Yeah, the, you know, my mother was a, a gospel singer. She taught me how to play guitar. And uh, my aunt was Minnie Pearl of the Grand Ole Opry and Hee Haw. Wow. And, and then my cousin is Pat Boone of the, the 50s and the White Bucks and all that. And so I grew up listening to people like that and the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry and all all the good stuff. I just grew up listening to that kind of stuff. Wow, that's amazing. Did you feel that there was pressure on you to be in the business then because of your family? No, I just I just loved it. I uh, I never went after the money or anything like it. It's just that I like singing and playing and so I and writing songs and so I just went for it. And after all this time, I'm still doing it. I love that. Well, it's like I always say, if you're doing something in the artistic world from your passion and not from a standpoint of, I need a paycheck, it always comes out better and it's more relatable to the audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be, you know, I, I meet these young guys coming up and uh, they talk about all this, you know, but then they end up getting married or they have to get a job before long. I see them two years later, five years later, and they gave up their dream. But at one time, the dream was real, was real. But it's hard to hold on to a dream and do what you want all your life, and still in and to come through it, the storms. Yeah, you know? 
That's true. I, I, it's tough. I mean, I have a day gig that I work too, but, but for me, and I don't have a family to maintain or anything, but for me, as soon as that, that whistle blows, I slide down the dinosaur's tail, hop right on the other computer and I start writing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just for me, I want to spend every possible moment I can creating what I feel is, is worth putting out. And I can't imagine yeah. not doing that. But I understand that right. for a lot of people, life gets in the way. Yeah, life gets in its way. But if you hold on and be strong, you can, you can 10 years go by, you can still do, be doing what you really like doing. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, things like that. But things are good here in Texas. Things are good. We're rocking Reggie. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> So are you uh, are you working? Have you been working on any, any new projects then? While yeah, you've been away? I, yeah, I've been writing some new songs. I'm getting ready uh, to go to Nashville uh, in about two weeks to shoot two new videos. Oh, uh, and uh, so it'll be exciting about that. So I'll have to uh, let you know when that's being finished and put it out, and I'll put it on YouTube and uh, Facebook, and I put it out, and we've got a couple marketing places to put it out. So we're excited about two new videos. I'm glad to hear that, because your videos are, you guys do a great job with your visual representation of music. Yeah, the videos are really good. Rachel, she did a lot of that stuff for us, and uh, they're in Phoenix, and she's a little wizard. She's really good, and so if you could put the right team together, you know, it's like a baseball game. If you get the right guys on first, second, and third, you can hit a home run and you can win the World Series. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so that's how it was with our videos. So we're getting ready to shoot two more down in Nashville at the end of this month. So we're excited about that. Well, I have to say, you know, in in the idea of putting a team together, I know Rachel well enough to know that if you're using her as the foundation, you're going to have something spectacular. That woman has not turned out anything that I wasn't absolutely in awe of. Yeah. Yeah, she's good. Because now the ones we're doing in Nashville, she's not on that project. I got another team down in Tennessee doing that. But I agree with Rachel. We did, I don't know, 10 or 12 videos with her. Mm-hmm. And she's she's just fabulous. Just fabulous. The first one that I remember, and this is how I connected with you, was seeing the video for Witch in the Woods, which I thought was stunning as a video, but it's an amazing song. Oh, thank you. I wrote that. I think I just sat down one day and I just I started writing and I wrote it one day and then I started playing guitar and, you know, in a studio and fooling with it. Then I brought people on board. And before long, when we put it out, man, it was it's um it's it's just a good song it really is it's it's got just such a powerful musical statement to it when i first heard it i was really impressed and i thought i got to hear more by this guy <laughs> thank you yeah well that's what we do you know i just sit around and do music and that was witch in the woods was just one of those that came out of the box that everyone because i write so many songs i've written probably 2,000 songs in my life. And and every once in a while, it's like Billion Dollar Babies or or when I worked on the project, School's Out. They just come out of the box. And every once in a while, a song grabbed the artist or the artist will grab the song and it becomes a hit. 
Right. Well, and it, and it takes connecting with the right artist for the right song as well. Absolutely, yeah. I remember hearing that uh, David Coverdale actually wrote uh, Still of the Night for Tina Turner and then decided that the song was just too too good to not let Whitesnake do it. And then, of course, it became a huge success. And I think just finding that right performance is really the key. Yeah, yeah it is. You got to have the, yeah, it's a combination of the right song, the right voice, the right melody, and then the right someone to push it. It all this is it, it's a combination of all these little things that make that you can't do one without the other, you know, and uh, and so it's just a combination of that. So I encourage you, those listening on the radio, to uh, you know find your niche and hang with it and and, and roll with it and then see what happens. Absolutely. You you have to go with what you're feeling, you know, just whatever you're feeling, let that represent itself in the music. Um, but do you how do you decide when you're done with a song? Because it seems like a lot of people struggle with the idea of just saying, OK, this is finished. I'm not going to work on it anymore. And then end up writing yourself out of a good song. Yeah, I am. Well, for me, I usually, you know, sometimes I write seven or eight songs in one week and uh it just said uh you know i want not complete songs but maybe i'll write two or three verses in this one two verses in that one and then when i feel strong about it when i just got extra time i go back and i i work on it and then every like i said every once in a while it pops out and it's a hit mm-hmm. it's just it just becomes a hit that's you know, because it's hard to describe what a hit song is. Nobody really knows what until you hear it and you say, that's got it. But it's, you know, it's you never know when it's going to be a hit. Well, you know, I hear a lot of journalists ask questions like, well, why don't you just write another song like X successful song? Or why don't you write another <laughs> song? Like like you just you write what you feel. It's in the moment. It, there's there's not yeah, strategy the to it. Yeah, it's the moment. And uh, when I was working with, uh, I worked a session with Paul Simon. I asked him one uh, one question. I said, how did you come up with Love Me Like a Rock? You know, he said he just grew up listening to the Everly Brothers. And he he just liked the beat. And he said he had an idea and he sat down and loved me like a rock. And uh, so with songs, you just never know, except you just, and if it don't work, you write another one. Sure. You know. Yeah, it's it's limitless what we can create, right? You know, have but I'm curious when you write a song and and like you said, you work with a lot of session people. Do you sort of dictate? No, this is how the song goes, or do you say this is my idea? Make it your own. Uh, well, that that varies. You know, it's according who you with, what players you with. Sometimes I go in the studio with just a. Uh, a melody and a few lines. And then if I had the right players, I create it. And uh, like that. And then other times you have it all worked out, all planned out. Then you go in the studio and then just do one or two takes and boom, you've got it. And uh, that's how it goes. You know, it's just, uh, you never really know except until uh, it just, the magic has to happen. So would you say one key element would just be being open to letting nature sort of take its course? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because sometimes I, I get in and plan something, then you go in the studio. It's not like that at all. And just before the song is over, you've totally changed the whole song. Yes. And so you, you, you just never know. And uh, I know a friend of mine, uh, Rudolph Isley, who was the, had the song called Shout years ago. And, it, and there's a part that goes, mm-hmm. he does those high notes, you know, you make me want to shout. He said, how that happened? He said, they had the whole thing all done. And the guy came, his brother came and started tickling him. And he went, <laughs> and they said, well, let's put that in the record. So he went back in the room and he went, you know, you know, you make me want to shout. And so it became a million seller. Wow. Um, so you just never know about songs, you know, how they roll. That I I love organic development like that, you know, things that aren't planned, like we should do this because people will like it. Just it just happened. Yeah, that's how it just happened. And it is a million seller. It is. Yeah. That song yeah. fascinates me because it shows how easily people can be controlled by by simple direction. You, yeah, know, I, you watch people dance to that song and they follow the instructions yeah. so easily. Yeah. It is that's a fun song, you know. It is. And it's they so simple. That, yeah, and they use that song in a lot of movies and you know, and uh, it's funny, you know, but it's a good song, but uh it's a good song. It that's gotta be uh, one of the most licensed songs in history, I would think. Oh, you make a fortune off of that. Yeah, that yeah. and uh Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood, I think is one of the top yeah, also. Bad to the Bone. That's a good one. That's a bad to the bone. That's a good song, yeah. There's a lot of good songs, you know out there a lot of good artists and uh, just you know it's all good it's all good do you find it difficult to create something that isn't similar to something that's already out there or do you really just do what you do uh that's that's hard to do to do something that hasn't been done that's what uh every artist tries to do it's easy to copy and and uh but to come out of the box like no one else had had done that before. Like when we, I wrote Billion Dollar Babies with Alice Cooper and with him, and I had the melody and the chords already structured. And then when he came down and started listening to it, and he liked it, then he started putting the magic of the Alice Cooper band to Billion Dollar Babies. And all these years have passed, he still sells 50,000 records a year just every year for the last 30, 40 years, wow. he steals that every year. And some years he told me, his manager told me, they do 100000 a year still on billion-dollar babies. People are still buying the, the songs, you know, downloading the whatever it is. That's amazing. And, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's already sold six or seven million uh, units. And uh, so he... You just never know when it uh, to come up with it, you know, but it, like being on a babies, I had to start somewhere and I had the chords and the melody and had the, uh, it was actually called dirty doll. Oh, and, uh, uh, it was dirty, dirty doll. And then he said, he went to England. He saw, uh, an old poster said billion dollar babies. And so he, he changed the words and he called Donovan. Uh, from England to come in the studio and Donovan started singing uh, like row, row, row your boat and Alice would go billion dollar babies 
And then Donovan would start going, and he would do the next verse. And so they had that idea where you do one line, I do another line, you do this. And before you know it, it came out. And boom, it sold 500,000 pieces Jeez. for six months. <laughs> and and it just went right to the tops. And all these years later, you know, I, it's, it's just amazing. It went to nine countries in number one. And uh, after all these years, and we still get checks from DMI Music, you know, for for playing the song. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. So did you set out to write that with Alice or was that something you came up with? No, I wrote, I came up with, I came up with it first and I presented it to the band and, uh, well, me and Dennis and, uh, worked at uh, the bass player and we sit there and worked on it and worked on it, you know, just the chords and the structure. And then Neil came up with the drummer and he started playing little drums on it. And then Michael Bruce came down, started putting some leads on it. And then GB jumped in there started playing and Alice come in there and he just, they went to England and he, he just put all new words and structured it out and, and they released it and boom, it was bigger than schools out. It just really went big. And, and even in his shows, even that's like the third or fourth song he'll play will be billion dollar babies in his show. And then, and a couple other songs I worked with Alice was, uh, on the Killer album, I played, I uh, I sung the background on a song called Be My Lover, which is a great song. It is. And then um, Under My Wheels, and that's me, if you listen to the high voices in that, you know, the background vocals, that's, that's old Rock and Reggie singing those background. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, I love that song. That's such a powerful song because just the way it starts out with the with just empty air and then the vocal and then the music kicks in. Really yeah. great heavy guitar. It's just yeah. a powerful song. Yeah, well that's me doing the we cut that in Chicago. And on Under My Wheels is Rick Derringer playing lead guitar on that. Oh. And, and that wasn't Michael or uh, GB, it was Rick Derringer played the lead on it. And in the studio there, I was with him when he, he did it. And uh, so it's, music is a great thing, you know. So you just have to stay at it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if it's your passion, <laughs> you know, you're going to do it no matter what. Right. So did you work with Bob Ezrin then on those projects? Yes, Bob was on the projects. Yes, Bob was on a project. I did pre-albums with Alice. Bob was on all the projects. And... Uh, He's quite the producer. He's uh, he's magic. You know, he's like a maestro or something. I don't know, but he, he's a good guy and he's a great record producer. Yeah, I've heard that he's uh, he's he's very much a taskmaster, but he gets it done. Yeah, he does. He says, you know, like uh, I know the albums I do with him. He's real strict and real, you know, uh, real forceful and. He gets it done, you know, he gets it done. Oh, let's do it. And he doesn't screw around in it. You know, you can't, you got to be able to go in there and do it. If you take the band in there or by yourself, you got to be able to do your job, you know. Well, and, and he's worked on some of the most famous records we have. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I know he has. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, I introduced uh, years ago, when in 1974, 
I saw this young band out of New York playing on a local TV show. And they said they were performing tonight at, uh, at this roller rink. So I went over there and I met him and started talking to him and everything. And it was Kiss. Oh. And uh, so this is 1974. And so they said they wanted to know how uh, about how did Alice do this and how did Alice do that. And, and they wanted to know who Bob Ezrin was. So I introduced them to Bob Ezrin and, uh, and uh, in New York and everything like that. And so I booked Kiss. They wanted to work. So I called a friend of mine, a promoter in Canada. His name was Nick Panasico. And he was with a record company called Quality Records, which was introducing the band to Canada. So I booked Kiss for $1,200. I paid him $1,200 to perform at, the, at, at, a, at a show. And then I booked him again on CKLW in, in Detroit on a radio station. And I gave him $1,200 again. And that's all I paid. I got Kiss for the whole band for $1,200. I think their meat and cheese tray is $1,200 now. I know. <laughs> Just, I know, just to get one seat. Right. That's interesting. Uh, CKLW, I grew up in Detroit, and that was one of the stations that we used to listen to. We listened to that in WRIF, which was our rock station. Yeah, CKLW was, Rosie was one of the DJs there. And I, I, had, uh, I had a bunch of friends, and I knew a lot of people on CKLW, because I grew up in Detroit. Oh. And... I grew up in Detroit, and that's where I met Eddie James. I played guitar with her, and uh, uh, I, I met her at the Fox Theater in Detroit. I was performing, and she came up, and she said, can I play in your band? You know, I said, <laughs> yeah, you know, and she got up on stage, and uh, you got to roll with me, Henry. She started singing, and it was just G, C, and D, and we just roared like that. And then she went into... Uh, I'd rather go blind and see you walk away with my man. So we started playing. Then before long, she invited me to her place where she was staying. I went over there and we became good friends. And I did. She hired me as her guitar player. And for 14 shows, I did 14 shows on the road with her. Very nice. Very. And, and uh, just just out of a moment of, hey, can I, uh, yeah, can I play with yeah, you? Yeah, just out of the moment. Just being there at the right place at the right time. And just ready to do it. But you got to be, you got to, you know, you, it's like me. I'm not the greatest and I'm not the worst, but I'm somewhere in there. And, you know, and that's all you have to be. When you, you get an opportunity knocking on your door, you don't have to worry about you're the fastest guitar player in the world. Because most of those guys never make it. And those guys, you know, playing those notes. But three years later, whatever happened to them. But the guys that write the melodies like George Harrison and the ones that put it Roy Orbison, you just find the right melody and the right little simple little notes. And when I walked to John Lennon, he said, he said to me, Rockin', do you know how to write a hit song? And I said, and I was, I didn't know, I didn't know what to say, you know. <laughs> and uh, I just looked at him, he said, it's very simple. He says, you take a song and you write it with three chords and throw some minors in there. He says, and then after you write it, look at it and throw it away. 
and then rewrite it again and make it as simple as you can until it's it's real hummable that you can hear. He says, it's like this. And he starts singing to me. He says, all you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. He said, put a twist in it. And they said it sold 10 million records. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and if you really think about it, the Beatles music before they went uh, in a really crazy direction with Magical Mystery Tour, um, yeah. their music was very simple and straightforward. It just hadn't been done. That's what he said to me. Yeah, that's what he said to me. Make it, he said, make it as simple as you make it as simple as you can and put a twist in it, put a hook in it, you know? And so that's what I that's what I always try to do is write a song, put a hook in it, and then go from there. But the Beatles were my favorite. I love the Beatles, Jeez, oh, Peaks. Yeah, the hours I've spent listening to that band, I can't even imagine what it would add just, up to. Yeah, it's just it's just good. There's really no bad song. <laughs> yeah, they they really experimented too, and I liked the fact that they uh, weren't afraid to try different things. Yeah, and I think about what they did on a on an eight track recorder versus what people can't do on sixty four tracks now. I know it's amazing when you start you listen to Sgt. Pepper or the White Album or any of the great albums, even Love Me Do and you know, I Want to Hold Your Hand. All these all these songs were just great songs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and there's they're simple, you know, they're they're simple strumming and chords and you've got Ringo being just the rock solid foundation. Oh, I know. Yeah, he's great. Ringo's a, he's a good drummer. You just have to hold that beat for steady for three minutes. Don't let go of that beat and just put a little twirls in it, little symbols on it. Boom. Like Ringo, he knew how to put his magic to a song. Well, I think the thing that fascinates me about Ringo is that he wasn't a flashy drummer. He didn't have to be. He was what the Beatles needed. But he played with a little bit of a swing feel to him, even if it was a straight beat. Yeah. Yeah, like Honey Don't, when he played on Honey Don't, and like that. Or... uh Blue suede shoes, you know, one for the money, two for the show, you know. Right. And he and he get going, you know. If anybody uh, that's listening wants a, a good visual example, so you can see what I'm talking about, watch Ringo play "Love Me Do." Yeah, that's a good song. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a very good song, but it has a real swing feel, even though the beat is pretty straight. Yeah, it's it's just really good. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, if you put Paul help writing and singing and then add George Harrison to it, it was just magic. I don't think you could have found a more magical combination of four people to put in a band at that time. Yeah, you're right. They were just like, oh, my Lord, I couldn't wait for the next record to come out. And to think that that Ringo wasn't the original drummer. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, that's true. You know, I can't think of his name. I can't he either. Was. I was hoping you'd know. <laughs> oh, I might have. I, I can see his face. I can see his cover when I saw pictures of him mm. like that. But but also, Ian Pace was not the original drummer of Deep Purple, yet he's the only one that's an, that's considered an original member. Mm. Bobby Whitman was the original drummer, but that was when the band was still called Roundabout. Yeah, okay. So it's okay. really, it's fascinating to me how one little decision can really change the course of a band's history. 
and you don't think about that. You just think this guy's better than that guy. Let's go with him. And it changes everything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like the music is a wonderful thing. I'll tell you, you can listen to it slow, fast, hip hop. It's just something to grab you. And it's just something about music. The Beatles or the Rolling Stones or the Yardbirds or even today's sound, whatever's going down, you know, it'll grab you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's always something good to find out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people generalize, I think, a little too much and say, oh, today's music is crap or or whatever is, they, is the generations change. But I think if you really listen, there's something good in everything out there. Absolutely. I agree with that. Absolutely. And because uh, I listen to radio constantly and uh, there's a lot of good tunes out there and great melodies and, uh, you know, and uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going down. There is. I'm very curious because you live in Texas. So do you get affected by the weather when you have it? Like if you have a rare overcast day, does that affect your writing? No. Not me, no. No, I just, I can write. I can hang up today and go upstairs in the studio and create something. But you got to be inspired. You know, if you're not inspired, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough climb. Sure. You have to be inspired by something and, and then boom, then I can write two or three songs in a day, you know, but uh I have to be inspired by something, and sometimes it's there's a there's a a dry spell where you don't get anything, and then the next day, oh my lord, I'm writing really good today, and so it's that's how the circle goes. Well, with over two thousand songs under your belt, I I don't think inspiration's too much of an issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of songs, man. Yeah. I got a lot of songs. Well, how did it come about that you ended up meeting John Lennon? Well, I was uh, asked to come to New York to work with Bobby Hatfield of the Righteous Brothers. And, you know, and uh, so when I got there, I went to see Shelly Yegas, who had invited me. And he had did the song Imagine, the engineer on Imagine. And Shelly was a one of the top, he did all the Tom Petty's records, and uh, uh, he's really a, one of the most famous guys left. Most of them have passed on. So when I was up there, I uh, went over and did some things with Johnny Winters and uh, Edgar Winters' brother, and I did a little vocal track on some stuff and uh, with Bobby Hatfield. And, and while I was there, he, Shelley said to me in the studio, he said, hey, Rockin', he said, do you play bass? I said, no, not really. He said, well, that's too bad because John Lennon's downstairs and he's looking for a bass player. And I said, oh, my <laughs> God, I play bass. Right. Yeah, how do you say no to that? Yeah, I, I play bass. And, of course, I knew a few chords, but I'm not a bass player uh, like most bass players. But I, I know I know three chords uh, on a bass, you know, basically the rhythm and how to play and stuff. So he went downstairs and and he said, well, let me take you downstairs and introduce you to, to John Lennon. So we go downstairs to the studio at one and open the door. And John's standing at the door and he hands me a bottle of whiskey. And he didn't say nothing. 
and Shelly said, well, this is rockin' Reggie. And, and John just didn't say nothing. He just hands me a bottle of whiskey. So I took a swig, and then he says, is that all? <laughs> so I took another swig. He said, come on. He says, you want to play some rock and roll? And he says, you got a bass? And uh, I said, no, but Dennis Dunaway of the Alice Cooper Band was in another studio uh, recording uh, Platinum God with Neil Smith as the drummer. And which I got to sing back on on that album. Okay. And, uh, uh, but uh, so uh, so we come in. So he lent me his bass. So he came over there. And so as I'm sitting there, and he like that, and we started just playing a little rock and roll. And so in there, are two guys walk into the room, and they uh, I know I recognize who they are, just like that. I knew who they were. And he walks and he walks in the studio and they walk over to me and I'm sitting there, John, and he whispers in his ear. He says, hey, man, can I meet John Lennon? I, I met him before. And I don't know if he'll remember me. And I said, of course. And I looked over John like I knew these guys forever. I say, this is Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Paul Simon. And so Paul and John, John had him a bottle of whiskey. And I took a swig and, and lit up a joint. And uh, so they uh, they started playing. He said, we'll play some rock and roll. So Paul Simon had his guitar with him. So he sits down there. So it was Paul Simon on rhythm, Rock and Reggie on bass, John Lytham on rhythm, uh, Jay Giles on piano, and Harry Nielsen on uh, drums, and Shelley Yegas as an engineer in the studio. We sit there and play rock and roll. And then he asked me, he says, let's go out and party rocking. And so for about three, three or four days, I never left John's sight. And we went to all these places. I went over to the Dakota Hotel with him and hung out with him. And he was a great guy to me, John Lennon. He, he liked me and uh, he, we just were buddies. And uh, we, it worked out really good. And then later on, the album came out. And it was, I was, you know, it was me, as far as I know, I was on that. And I was, uh, was on Stand By Me and Beep Bopalula. And that's the ones that we were jamming in the studio together. Wow. And so it was quite the experience, but uh, I had a good time and, and I'm still doing it. Well, and I have that, to give you credit, too, because not only, you know, I think a lot of people, even you know, even experienced people would have been somewhat nervous walking into, oh my God, I'm going to play for John Lennon, uh, would have been enough. But for you to take on an instrument that you weren't particularly comfortable with, because bass <laughs> is very different from guitar. Yeah, I know. But as you can live, I'm stand by me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And stand by me, you know, and then John did an A and all I had to do is play three chords and then be bop a little, you know, a little deep. Just like that, and if I just followed right along, <laughs> that and, that takes some guts or some. I don't care. I'm going to take advantage of this situation. Yeah, and Paul Simon was a nice guy. We sit and talked, and our grandpa uncle did. He didn't say much. He just and they had he had two girls with him, so he just sit in the corner, and he was they was rolling some joints and everything. But for Paul, Simon was a nice guy and uh, got along. And Harry Nelson was kind of a strange guy. 
Not many people liked Harry. And he had a Harry Nelson, I Can't Live, Living Is Without You. Oh, yeah, I love that song. That's his song. That was Harry's song. And he sung it and everything. But they really had a, a bad attitude towards people and everything. But everybody else in the in the Jay Giles and everyone else we got along really well and it was it was a fun recording session. Well and, and Can't Live Without You is another one of those songs that you really have <laughs> to find the right person to perform that because the vocals yeah. are so important on that song. If you yeah. don't nail the emotion, the whole song falls apart. Right. And uh you're right about that. Yeah. And uh, I knew the guy's name Peter and he was with Bad Finger, and he wrote that song with Harry, I think it's with Harry, and like that. And uh, if he'd have lived today, he'd have been a multimillionaire. But he he got tied up with a young girl on drugs. He took a rope and put it around his neck in this garage, and he hung himself and oh. killed, killed himself. Wow. And that's what happened to him, who wrote that great song, you know, Can't Live Without You. And of course, uh, we lost uh, Jake Isles a few months back. Yeah, I know. So sad. You know, so many of these great artists, I, I really hope, and I'm saying this to you too, Reggie, because you've had such an, an important role in the music world and, and have given us so much. I really hope that that everyone knows how much the people who are fans of music, who have needed music to be there when they've been going through rough times or want it to be there when they're celebrating good times. Right. You guys have given us so much to enjoy and to drown our sorrows in. I hope that you guys know what it means to us because we don't often get a chance to tell you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. That's nice of you. But yeah, I'm still, still rocking and rolling. <laughs> well, that's, that's the best part. Years. Yeah, since I was 15, I'm still doing it. Oh, that's amazing. Well, that's I, amazing. I I just love that you're so passionate about it still, that you're not like, yeah, I'm a songwriter. Yeah, I've written a lot of songs. Yeah, I did this. Like, you really, it sounds to me like you love it just as much as you ever have. Oh, I do. I, I really do. It's just it's just something about it. It's magical. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just inside my spirit. And uh, it just comes alive. When I hear a, a good song on the radio, or it doesn't matter if it's even country. I like country music a lot. And uh, there's so many good artists out there. But, it, you know, but I, I favor rock and roll stuff of the best. I favor that because there's so many great artists. Oh, yeah. And, and I have a great appreciation for country music because I played in a country band for a while and up until that point, I hadn't really paid much attention to country music. And mm. my grandma listened to it, but it was just something that was on in the background. But when I started playing with these guys, I was 21. The second youngest, I think, was 35. And we went up all the way into the early 50s. And the music we were playing was very classic country. Merle Haggard, stuff from the 40s, oh, yeah. 50s. Mm -hmm. I learned as a drummer how important it is to stay on your meter better playing country than I did any other style of music I've ever played. Yeah, I understand. And uh, yeah, country and rock and roll is really good. Now me and uh, not talking about music uh, with Dennis, Dennis Dunaway is Alice's original bass player through all those albums and through the years. Him and I come up with a song that we released last year 
on uh, Susie Quattro's birthday. Oh. It's called Susie Q, and he's singing, I'm singing, playing all the instruments, and uh, we released that, and it became a pretty big song, I guess, in Europe or something like that. Uh, but uh, he's in Dennis, he's out there with Neil Smith. They're still doing it. And uh, so music keeps going on and on. It does. And speaking of Susie, she just released an, a new album about a month ago. Yes, I heard about that. I heard it. I haven't heard it, but I heard she was releasing some, some a new project. But she really liked the song. Dennis talks to her a lot. And she, you know, she really liked the song. And, and it, it was Alice had even thought about maybe recording it. He had said and everything as a duo or oh. something. But uh, that that never came to pass. It's hard to get a song past Bob Ezrin. He's real, <laughs> he's real strong. Yeah, that's that's yeah. very true. I know Dennis told me he said he sent 20 songs and he said he turned every one of them down. And uh, <laughs> and then he said he's got one on that he's that he kind of liked, but uh, it's hard to get past Bob Ezrin, you know, in the studio. He's real strong. Well, does he give feedback or does he just say no? And because that would be really disheartening, I would think. It is. Well, uh, he says it in the right way, but it's no. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line, yeah, yeah. You had uh, you had mentioned Johnny Winters earlier. I had the pleasure a couple years ago of seeing an absolutely amazing concert. It was Edgar Winter opening, Alice Cooper, and then Deep Purple. They were playing here in a in a theater in Vegas, and I was so grateful that Edgar played. He spent most of it talking about Johnny uh, and playing songs that would be in tribute to Johnny. But to get to see Edgar Winter play Frankenstein on stage, yeah, that was a good. huge moment. Yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I, I've seen him before perform, and he's really good, you know. But that that would have been a good show seeing those free acts. Oh, it was incredible. That that show could have gone on another two hours, and I would have been completely encapsulated in it. You know what I did years ago, back in the late seventies. I was I'm, I was in France, and I met Seymour Hellers, a management. He signed me up as a recording artist. I was just a young lad. And uh, he signed me up. He had, uh, he managed Ginger Rogers, Doris Day, Tom Jones, Glenn Campbell, and a guy named Liberace. And they offered me a five-year contract to go sign with AVI. That was Liberace's company. And I got to work in Las Vegas and work at the Hilton and the Riviera Hotel. And I opened some of the shows way back then in 1978. Wow. You know, so I'm familiar with Vegas and doing that. But I, I had a trip of all the things well, from Alice Cooper to Liberace. That's a, that's a, that's a stretch. <laughs> that's about as wide as it goes, I think. Yeah, that's as wild as you can get if you, it. You if know? you can add some Glenn Campbell in there somewhere, I think you'd hit oh, it yeah. all. <laughs> Wasn't he good? Oh, yeah. Glenn Campbell. What a voice. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to, I want to ask you, uh, you know, when you were talking about somebody just saying, you know, hey, can I play with you? And you saying yes, and it turns into a short tour. It seems nowadays that that things are so restrictive, depending on who is signed with what management company or what label, that they can't really just do work with whoever they want anymore. Is that a misconception on my part? No, that's about true. 
there's so many uh it's music has changed so much since since i was a, a young lad it, it uh it's just changed so much contracts and a bunch of bs is in there and then of course you have to watch your dollars or you'll end up being broke and uh but it's it's all changed and uh and it has to go through the uh record producer and then there's the management and then they gotta they gotta make sure they like it before they even though the artist is a star he wants to do it it still goes through the record producer if he wants it or uh or the management, you know, and because uh, uh, I wrote a song for Hank Williams Jr., a country song, and uh, the management liked it and everything. But when it got down to the record producer, he decided to put one of his songs on there. And so they cut it from the album. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I had all my hopes and then Hank Williams Jr., big country star, cutting the song and... But when it got down to the record producer, he said no. And he put one of his songs in there on the album. Was it recorded and just not released, or did it not get recorded? I think they did a demo on it. Okay. And, uh, but uh, anyway, I was, there was 15 or 14 songs picked for the album. And when it got down to 10, mine was in one of the 10, but then it just got shipped off. So it was, so you know that really, that was really a downer for me. But we move on. We just keep going. Well, that's all you can do. I mean, it's it's gonna hurt. You know, you're gonna be upset. It's gonna be a sting, especially with an artist like that. But right. there's not much more you can do than go. Okay, fine. That happened. On to the next thing. At some point, you got to dust yourself off and move forward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even though we tend to live in a world where complaining is seems to be the answer, it's not really the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand. So let me let me ask you then, as as we wrap up, um, so the the videos that you're going to Nashville to shoot are these songs for a new album? Are these going to be singles? They're going to be singles with a, uh, uh, you know, with some with some with a, a machine behind it. And uh, so we're excited about that. And uh, it'll be a single and a video and the whole thing. You know, we got a machine. I mean, we got a company behind it. And so we're excited about that. Do you have a target release date at this point or is it too early? No, no, we're just getting ready to shoot it. So I don't know when. Hope it'll be out this year. That'd be great. You know, yeah, I'll let you know when it's coming out. Please do. I'm just excited that we're at a point where you can go out and shoot a video. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all been cooped up so long inside, I kind of forgot what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> well, Reggie, I can't thank you enough for, for taking some time out to thank come and talk Scott. with me. I'm really excited that, that you're moving forward with a couple more songs. Can't wait to see what you do because you are a very talented artist. You've made such a big impact, whether... People know your name, like a lot of people might not know you wrote Billion Dollar Babies, but they certainly know the song and they've been enjoying it for decades. So for all yeah. that you've given us from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. And if you're out there on the radio land, just don't give up and keep your dream alive and keep rolling. That's right. Keep rocking. Thank you, Reggie. You take care. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. 
One thing I absolutely love about doing this show is being able to talk to such passionate artists like Reggie. I mean, he's been doing this his whole life and still just loves it as much as he ever did, even with all the changes in the business. He's still out there doing it, sharing his music with us. I cannot wait to see these two new videos and hear these songs because I have not heard anything from him that I haven't liked. And that really says a lot because I'm a picky listener. You know, I can't help it. That's who I am. So thank you, Reggie. Please come back and visit us again. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all those good places. And uh, also, I see the uh, any comments and feedback on Podbean. We'll see you guys next week with another episode. Cheers. Cheers.